Hey, Grace Point, it is so good to see you this morning. Whether you're joining us here in Nashville or whether you're joining us from anywhere else in the country around the world, we're thrilled you're with us. Uh, it's been another one of those weeks that have felt a bit like emotional whiplash as we've um, this week got a verdict in the George Floyd, the, the Derek Chauvin trial uh, in the murder of George, George Floyd. Uh, and of course, it was a guilty verdict. Uh, and while that's ultimately that's not justice because justice would mean that George Floyd would still be with us, but it is a step toward building a better world, a world where black bodies are safe, a world where uh, police brutality is uh, something that actually gets punished and dealt with, and hopefully something that is not a part of our future. And yet also in the midst of sort of that celebration of that moment of a little bit of incremental change happening, we've also had multiple reports already uh, in the aftermath of more police killings. And we long for a day when this injustice, when police brutality when this sort of thing no longer is part of our world. And that is not going to happen by hoping or wishing. It is going to take real, real work. It's gonna take uh, action. It's gonna take us as a society deciding that this is no longer acceptable, that we have to do something different. And so we hold all of that. We, we hold, uh, and one of the things we know as human beings is that we can hold multiple things at once and we hold joy and we hold pain, we hold hope and we hold at times despair and they're all part of the mix of what it means to be human. And so while we grieve also this week with those who have also uh, been lost, we, we also celebrate in a way with the family of George Floyd because George Floyd has been granted a small amount of justice um, throughout the result of his trial. And so um, we just acknowledge all of that as we gather together today. Um, as we uh, continue our series, we're gonna continue Bible Stories for Grownups. And what we're doing in this series is it's really an exploration of the Bible as grownups. I know that may sound funny if you're just joining us, but for so many of us, our first experiences with the Bible, uh, maybe in Sunday school or maybe just in sort of, sort of some of these stories just get kind of lost in the, in the air and the water and there's stories everybody know, uh, everybody knows. And these interpretations have been with us since we were kids. And we've almost been discouraged. We actually have been discouraged from coming back and questioning them or coming back and saying, gosh, that really just doesn't sound right. And so we're trying to look at some commonly known stories of Jesus this time. We're looking at the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These some well-known stories and asking what might they mean from a grown-up lens. And the story this week is a textbook example of what often happens, which is the meanings of these stories often get domesticated and appropriated in a way that is used in the exact opposite intent of the, the people who wrote them. Uh, the story we're gonna look at today is an example of that. The story is called, in older translation, it's known as the widow's mite, and the mite is a reference to the two coins that are mentioned uh, in the story. Newer translations, the heading is sometimes the widow's offering or the poor widow's contribution. Stories found in Mark 12 and Luke 21, and both are really similar. So I decided to go with the Mark 12 story because I just like the gospel of Mark better. And so uh, since I'm preaching, I get to pick, and that's what we're gonna go with today. So I wanna hear, let you hear the reading, hear the story first, and then we'll jump into it. So a reading is from Mark 12, 41 through 44. Hi, my name is Lauren Thoman and I'm on the Leadership Council here at Grace Point. Uh, I live in Franklin, Tennessee, and I'll be doing our Bible reading today. Uh, today's Bible story is from Mark 12, verses 41 through 44. Jesus sat across from the collection box for the temple treasury and observed how the crowd gave their money. Many rich people were throwing in lots of money. One poor widow came forward and put in two small copper coins worth a penny. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I assure you that this poor widow has put in more than everyone who's been putting money in the treasury. All of them are giving out of their spare change, 
but she, from her hopeless poverty, has given everything she had, even what she needed to live on. I wonder how many of you have heard that story. I, I bet several of us have. And there's an, a conventional interpretation of this story, and that is that Jesus is praising this poor widow woman who, because she is giving sacrificially, unlike the rich who are giving out of their abundance, that she's going to feel this gift in a way that they can't, right? She's taking the last bit of what she has to live on, and she's putting it into the treasury. She is making her, her, her two little coins are more than bucket loads of money that these other folks can give. It's everything she has to live on. And a sermon um, that maybe you've heard and I've heard and probably given at some point about this text may go something like this. And it would probably conveniently come up during the time of a capital campaign at a church. And it would be something like, just like this widow gave sacrificially, we all must give until it hurts. It's not about equal gifts. It's about equal, equal sacrifice. Does that sound somewhat familiar? We'll come back sort of around to this. This interpretation seems credible on the surface because Jesus actually taught about a couple of things. He taught about being generous, uh, that's something that pops up in Jesus' teaching a lot. And Jesus also talked about giving without fanfare, giving in secret, not making a big deal. And I think you can make an argument that this woman, this, this widow woman's contribution wouldn't have garnered as much attention as the people giving large amounts of money um, being celebrated for their giving in the temple, right? So it's sort of like she's almost the model offering giver in this story. And I actually don't know that that's what's going on. And so I wanna take just a minute and, and talk about widows in the Bible, because this woman is a widow. I want to talk about how widows were perceived in, inside Scripture. And then I want to come back to this story and maybe think about it in terms of the larger biblical tradition. And so widows in the Bible were a really incredibly vulnerable um, group of people, especially in a patriarchal society which is reflected in the Bible. We just need to acknowledge that. There are actually lots and lots of commands in the Bible throughout about how the community should care for the most vulnerable. And often the groups that are really singled out for this care are the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And so um, I'm not gonna read you every verse in the Bible because I'm sure you have plans after this. Uh, hopefully we'll see you at the park later um, if you're in town. But I, I do wanna take just a minute and look through all the major sections of the Bible and just give you a window into how they talk about this. So I wanna begin with the Torah. And if you're new to the Bible, the Torah is a reference to the first five books of the Bible. It's also known as the law of Moses. And, and here's uh, how uh, Exodus speaks about this in Exodus 22. And this is um, God communicating in the story through Moses. Don't mistreat or oppress an immigrant because you were once immigrants in the land of Egypt. Don't treat any widow or orphan badly. If you do treat them badly and they cry out to me, you can be sure that I'll hear their cry. Right? In this story, God says, do not mistreat the orphan or the widow because they will cry out and I will always hear their cry. In Deuteronomy, there's a, another text. In Deuteronomy 10, it says this, circumcise your hearts. And this, this circumcision was a, a ritual that happened to the body. And in this text, it's saying, instead of doing this ritual to the body, there's something that needs to happen in your hearts. Circumcise your hearts. Stop being so stubborn because the Lord your God is the God of all gods, the Lord of all lords, the great mighty, the awesome God who doesn't play favorites and doesn't take bribes. He enacts justice for orphans and widows and he loves immigrants, giving them food and clothing. Of course, there's patriarchal language. God is he referred to he in this translation of the text. But this idea that God actually cares about the most marginal in society, specifically those who in the patriarchal society of the Bible would have been really vulnerable and almost 
helpless and hopeless based on how the world was run. We come to the next section, it's the prophets. Listen to Jeremiah, and this is part of a text we, we referenced last week, Jeremiah 7. If you truly reform your ways and your actions, if you treat each other justly, if you stop taking advantage of the immigrant, orphan, or widow, if you don't shed the blood of the innocent in this place or go after other gods to your own ruin, only then will I dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave long ago to your ancestors. If, essentially God says, if you want this whole temple thing to function, then it depends on how you treat the most marginal among you. Another, there are three sections of the Old Testament, the Torah, the writings, and the prophets. And the writings would include the Psalms. Listen to the Psalm, Psalm 146. God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. God, who is faithful forever, who gives justice to people who are oppressed, who gives bread to people who are starving. The Lord who frees prisoners. The Lord who makes the blind see. The Lord who straightens up those who are bent low. The Lord who loves the righteous. The Lord who protects immigrants, who helps orphans and widows, but who makes the way of the wicked twist and turn. All right, this, this psalmist is saying God actually cares about the most marginal among you. And then just one more reference from the New Testament. This is James 1.27. True devotion, and actually some translations say pure religion. True devotion, pure religion, the kind that is pure and faultless before God is this, to care for orphans and widows and their difficulties and to keep the world from contaminating us. Now, this is a small sample of text, and you could go throughout the Bible and do word searches, and this would pop up again and again and again. There is this preferential care throughout the scripture for those who are most marginal, including this group of people known as widows. And so what I want to do is, I, I, I think sometimes we, we come to a story like this, and it's a few verses, and we often haven't been taught to back up a bit and see what happens before it. Because I think there's something that happens before this story where Jesus points out this, this widow giving her, her two uh, pennies. Before he points this out, something happens before that. And so let's go back and hear the full context, and then we'll come back and see uh, what maybe we can, what sense we can make of it. Our next reading is from Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. As Jesus was teaching, he said, watch out for the legal experts. They like to walk around in long robes. They want to be greeted with honor in the markets. They long for places of honor in the synagogues and at banquets. They are the ones who cheat widows out of their homes. And to show off, they say long prayers. They will be judged most harshly. Jesus sat across from the collection box for the temple treasury and observed how the crowd gave their money. Many rich people were throwing in lots of money. One poor widow came forward and put in two small copper coins worth a penny. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I assure you, that this poor widow has put in more than everyone who's been putting money in the treasury. All of them are giving out of their spare change, but she, from her hopeless poverty, has given everything she had, even what she needed to live on. Is that broader context? I mean, when you hear that, that reading, the thing that, the text that leads into Jesus making this observation about this widow giving all that she had to live on, does that give it any more clarity? The line especially that jumps out for me is in verse 40 of Mark 12. They are the ones who cheat widows out of their homes. And other translations make this point a little more viscerally and more forcefully. Other translations say they devour widows' houses. This particular bit of Jesus' teaching before we get to his observation of the widow giving all she has to live on, this is, not, this is a warning against perpetuating injustice against those who are vulnerable. It should be taken, this text, I think, should be taken as a lens through which we see this story of the widow giving all that she had to live on. 
Jesus isn't praising the widow for giving everything she had. He isn't saying this is the model Christian. This is the model person. She's giving all she had. He's not praising the widow for giving all she had. He is criticizing the injustice of a system that would demand the last of what she had to live on when actually the system had been called to care for her in the first place. He's calling for justice because the reality is she's poor and she doesn't have the resources. And it's further evidence that this is the, the thing that was supposed to be happening, the justice that was supposed to be enacted, the preferential care that God has for widows wasn't being translated through the community. And this woman was a victim of an unjust system. I mean, how different is that than the interpretation so many of us grew up with where this woman and, and how, it was, how it has been used, how the story has been used in a counterproductive way, in a way that actually subverts the original subversion, the original subversiveness of the text. I, I thought we should take a minute and ask, what, what does this have to say to us? What do we do with this story? Because the reality is the Christian tradition has tons of skeletons in its closet. And the way greed has driven so many of our decisions is one of them. From televangelists bilking people, especially senior citizens, out of their limited resources to finance their lavish lifestyles and their private jets to churches that have pressured and used guilt and shame and fear to drive fundraising to preachers who wear ridiculously priced sneakers. Our tradition has been on the wrong side of this story again and again and again. And not only have we been on the wrong side of this story, we have used this story to further guilt and shame people into contributing financially at times to their own detriment a story that was intended to call for justice has been used to perpetuate injustice. And I have to be honest, I've been a pastor for more than 20 years and talking about money in church has always made me uncomfortable. After all, my entire adult life, like as a teenager, I worked at a radio, a, radio, a record shop and a clothing store and a CVS pharmacy. That's what I did in high school. Outside of that, the only thing I've done professionally is be a pastor. And so my entire adult life, my living has been made and I've fed my family by working in and being compensated by churches. So it's a clear conflict of interest, right? And, and so many pastors end up in that spot. And I get it. And unfortunately in the past, I've participated in some of these same tactics that I've been describing uh, to try to get people to give money to churches I pastored. And in my experience, at least, it feels really yucky on both sides. It's not just yucky on one, it feels yucky doing it and it feels yucky having that sort of heaved upon you. Now, since I've had a faith shift into the progressive world, I often get accused of becoming progressive for the, uh, because it's so financially lucrative. I can't even say that phrase without laughing about it. Like becoming progressive is like a financially lucrative decision. And of course, we all know that's not true. So I wanted to just take a minute as we think about this story and how the, the use of the church, specifically Christian churches have used money and finances to wound, hurt, guilt, and shame people. I wanna talk a little bit about how I approach this and how we're approaching it at Grace Point, just so you know. And just to give you a little bit of a warning on the front end, this is not going to be a Dave Ramsey approved approach to finances. Um, so you can breathe a, a sigh of relief. Uh, first, I wanna say this, we've been meeting virtually for almost 14 months in the middle of a global pandemic. And this community has been incredible. Our giving throughout this pandemic has been consistent. It's allowed our church to keep moving and it allowed us to keep growing. And for that, your staff and leadership council cannot even begin to have express our gratitude or articulate how grateful we are. So thank you as a community for just being incredible throughout this time. And I wanna tell you this, we as a community, as leadership, we will never use guilt, shame, or fear as motivation. 
We would never want you to choose between paying your bills or feeding your family, buying groceries or giving to the church. We would never tell you, you have to give 10% of your income or somehow God is not pleased with you or you're somehow not a good believer, follower, that you're somehow unfaithful. We will not use sleazy tactics that make you or us feel like we all need to take a shower because it's so incredibly gross um, what's, what's happening. We will simply say this, please be as generous as you can if what Grace Point does matters to you. We are dependent on one another to sustain and grow this community. If Grace Point is an important part of your spirituality, if it's part of your faith, if it's a part of your journey, and we would love and appreciate your participation in making sure that this work continues and has the opportunity to impact so many more people who need this community just like we do. Um, that's it. Simple, honest, straightforward. That's what we'll say. That's how we'll talk about it. We'll also, we also commit to being transparent with you in this issue. Every year we have a business meeting and we do a deep dive on what's been given and how that's been spent and where it's gone. And if you have a question outside of that meeting, you will not be deemed as a troublemaker or a pot stirrer. We take seriously that you entrust us with some of your resources and we want to honor that trust and we want to be accountable to that trust. We, we want you to go back to last week. We want you to find figs on the fig tree. That's really, really important to us. And if I go back to this scene, um, where my heart really is on all this. Jesus and his disciples see an injustice happening and Jesus exposes it for what it is. My hope is that our focus as a community as we grow and have more resources available is that we will make the work of justice more and more central to our mission as a church. We decided at the end of 2019 as we prepared the 2020 budget, we decided we would give away 1% of everything given to Grace Point in 2020. Now that seems super insignificant, but if you had sort of understood the journey of Grace Point over the last three to five years, you would understand that 1% feels, felt like at the time, like a massive, massive commitment. And then the pandemic hit. And I'll be honest, there were questions like, can we, can we do this? And our leadership stayed by the commitment. And um, I want you to know what happened is, and if you were at the business meeting, you heard this, we actually were able to give away more than 1% of what was given. And we were able to help organizations like Open Table continue their really, really, and other organizations continue their vital work in the community. And we've committed the same thing to 2021. And we want that number to expand and grow because we don't wanna just be a church in a community. We wanna be a church for our community. And beyond that, we have friends and family now all over the place. And we want to find ways to support you as you do this work of justice in your own communities as well. I, I, I do think that this work can never stop just with our community. Um, I think that's the danger and that's the temptation of to just to make church about church, to just make church about our experience, to just make church about what affects us when the reality is that what happens in our community should spill out into the world in the form of justice. Sometimes that means marching and protesting. Sometimes that means contributing and donating. Sometimes that means using our voice to call our representatives and our Congress people and our senators and demand that some of these ridiculous bills about open carry without permit and um, what they're trying to do and how they're trying to persecute trans youth in our community. Like we have to use our voices on those issues because the reality is that a church that isn't pursuing justice and we, we heard this last week when we, we talked about echoes of Amos, a church that isn't pursuing justice is just sort of a bunch of noise. The world doesn't need a bunch of noise. The world needs communities pursuing justice. And so, I, yeah, I hope that our community grows. I hope we bring in more people. I hope we have more resources. 
as I think about all the things we can do. Because the re- here's the reality. We are called to alleviate suffering, not add to it. The gospel is good news for the poor. It's not about trying to squeeze the last penny out of their pockets. I'm so grateful to be the pastor of this community because you get this. Grace Point is a community that gets this. I see it all the time. I see it in your interactions. I see it on your social media. I see it in all the ways. You care about justice. You care about being a church that is not just in a community, but a church that is for a community. You care about pursuing and seeing a little bit more of heaven um, take place on earth. I'm so grateful to be a part of this community. I'm so great to be your pastor. I'm so inspired by the way that you continue to want to lean into this work, how you're not afraid of the difficult conversations. You're not not afraid to use your voice. I'm grateful. You are a remarkable group of people in all the ways. If this is your first time here, you're also a remarkable human being in all the ways, and we're thrilled that you're here. I'm so excited. Uh, As I look back over, uh, this week made my second anniversary as lead pastor here at Grace Point, which is in some ways um, hard to believe. I I didn't have quite a year under my belt when we suspended in-person gatherings in uh, March of 2020. So most of my tenure at Grace Point, I've been talking to a camera <laughs> and it's, it's hard to believe. Um, but what I've seen over the last two years is I've watched this community grow, whether it was in person as we saw more people coming every week or whether it was online as we've met so many of you from all over the world. And I see the goodness that you are bringing into the world through your compassion, through your generosity, through your refusal to accept what is when what is just isn't good enough. So I'm grateful for all the goodness this community has brought into the world. And I am so excited for all the goodness that is right out in front of us waiting to be brought into the world. And I know that when those moments come, when the challenge is before us, Grace Point is going to side with justice and goodness and compassion. And I believe, I really do believe that this community is making a difference a real difference in the world. It's making a difference for me. It's making a difference for people I hear from every single week, people that you won't get to probably meet or hear from. But this community existing matters. So thank you, Grace Point. We love you. We are so grateful to be a part of this and to be together in this with you.